Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check us out online at blisterreview.com. This past week, we were in Silverton, Colorado to test new gear and to stop by the headquarters of Venture Snowboards to talk to Venture's founders, Lisa and Clem Branner. As you're going to hear, Venture does a lot of things different than most snowboarding companies. For example, very few companies are manufacturing snowboards here in the U.S., and even fewer of those companies are starting from scratch, literally building boards beginning with raw lumber. So we talked to Lisa and Clem about why they do what they do, why they chose to build in the tiny town of Silverton, and why it all matters. We also discuss why Clem really dislikes using the term sustainable when it comes to building snowboards, why he thinks it's a bad idea to build boards with traditional camber, which current trends in snowboard design he thinks are stupid, and more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Lisa and Clem, and I learned a lot, and I think you will too. So now, let's get to my conversation with Clem and Lisa Branner that took place right next to the Venture Snowboard Press, looking out over the surrounding mountains. So, I am here with Clem and Lisa Branner, uh, here at the Venture Snowboard Factory and Showroom uh, in Silverton, Colorado. These two just got off the mountain a little bit ago. I guess they are the more core mountain people since I have, I was not on the mountain today. So, some of us have to work, you know. So, uh, I, yeah, that was work. Yeah. <laughs> Product testing, R&D. Uh, I, I'll be out there tomorrow, but uh, you guys, you guys got it today. And uh, the reports I heard back that was that it was actually the mountain was skiing pretty well. Yeah, so. a lot better than you might expect, considering it's been kind of low tide all winter, right? Yeah, that's pretty much standard for that place. It's always better than you think. Yeah, we are currently um, sitting not far from uh, your snowboard press, while we also uh, look out the look out the window at some impressive mountains. Um, this is a pretty special spot. And uh, Lisa and Clem just gave me a nice tour of the place. And, and uh, um, yeah, I think this is one of the most impressive uh, scenic factories uh, I've had a chance to visit. So um, this is fun. And here in Silverton, and yeah, I'm up. I'm going to be uh, on the mountain the next couple of days. But while we were here, I wanted to get a chance to talk to you two uh, about venture and what you guys are up to here and get the backstory. And it's a, it is a pretty interesting story. So I think to get started, um, let's start actually with the personal story. When and where did you two meet? Ooh, good one. Prison. Oh, yeah. Prison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good long yeah. while ago. Um <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, we met back in New York, actually, in college. And believe it or not, he was the, the boy next door. Hmm. We were in apartment-style housing um, at... Not quite uh, prison, but... No, cl- close. For sure. Pretty <laughs> close. Um, yeah, at SUNY Binghamton. And okay. we actually moved out west together. Um, Clem had been a diehard snowboarder for years prior. I had skied a little bit growing up, but... Um, had not really gotten into snowboarding until I met him. And we moved out West together. Basically uh, the excuse was grad school, but the real reason was to be in the mountains. So, and that was, I don't know, we've been married 20 years. So that was 
That was a really long time ago. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you Clem just looked kind of quizzical. You should know this. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> <we're> like, <laughs> of the few things you really should know, this is one of them. This yeah, is so when you get to a certain number, it's, you know. Okay. <laughs> it's all water under the bridge. Yeah. Okay. It's been a lot of time, but it's been a yeah, fun ride. Mm-hmm. So wait, what was grad school? Um, so grad school, we went to Colorado State University up in Fort Collins. Yeah. And, um, my background is actually literature and prior to venture, I worked in the nonprofit world and did PR and marketing and fundraising and Clem's background is mechanical engineering. So some of that stuff came in pretty handy for making snowboards, (laughs) the mechanical engineering (laughs) or the literature. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I mean, for making snowboards, definitely the engineering, but for, you know, running a business and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think Lisa's background definitely helped as well. I think we have complementary skill sets for sure. Yeah. So you both are snowboarders. When did you start snowboarding? When did, when did that all happen? And this was back East when you first started riding. So I first started snowboarding. um, I grew up in Denmark. That's where I was born. Um, So my first snowboard was a piece of plywood that I, cut into a snowboard-ish shape and put some rubber straps on when I was 15 years old. You literally made the first board you rode? Correct. Yeah. That's pretty good. They were, I mean... That's so like the, Paul Bunyan style stuff, yeah, right? right? Like, I just found a tree and, and carved it into my... Yeah. It, it was the, the old, like, you know, um, what is it? Um, uh, necessity being the mother of invention. Yeah. I was... 15 year old kid and I was really into skateboarding and, um, the local skateboard shop had one snowboard in the wall on the, you know, in the window that we were all looking at and going, what is that thing? And then, you know, we see stuff in movies. We saw it was the the James Bond movie. Um, what was it? A view to a kill that hooked me. I was like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we saw the snowboard in the in the window of the skateboard shop, but it was you know way out of our range. So I tried to make my own. Yeah, and that's whatever I've been into. I've always just been like, oh, I'm going to try to figure out how to make my own. So that's how I started, and then um, moved to the states. I want to say like the next year, and then got a real snowboard mm-hmm. from a shop, and been riding ever since. I I want to hear your story, but I, it's not at possibly it going to it top it that. It pales by comparison. Yeah. No, um, I will say that Clem was uh, the person who tried to teach me to snowboard, and I would not recommend that for <laughs> longevity of relationships. Um, yeah, we quickly realized that that was not working, and um, a friend taught me to snowboard. But yeah. Um, I mean, I, I pretty much started snowboarding when we moved to Colorado, so... That's probably 25 years ago. Yeah. And my very first day ever was at Copper Mountain. Huh. So <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. So how do we make the move from grad school in Fort Collins to how, how, what's the traje- trajectory till venture? I, I, if my, if I have the story right, venture starts around 1999. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So what's the, what's the move from Fort Collins to, to venture to starting venture? And what's that conversation look like? (laughs) So when I'm in grad school, we are in grad school. um, I hooked up with another guy who was making snowboards in his garage basement in 
um, Denver, I think it was at the time and became a test rider for him hmm. and just slowly got involved in all that stuff. And then we actually started what became venture together. Okay. Um, got to a point where he was just, he, he was kind of pursuing a different path and then we just, he didn't really want to do the venture thing anymore because we were just taking different trajectories and allowed me to use his space to continue doing all this stuff. And, um, then I had to figure it all out on my own. Yeah. That was that built all the equipment. And so where we go. and that was while we were in grad school, we okay. actually right. started it in Fort Collins. So wait, um, you're in grad school. Are we're you, both in grad you're school. Both in grad school. Yes. Forgive me. Yeah. Well, and Clement oh, yeah. was studying mechanical engineering in grad school. Okay. And like, I think this was just the perfect way for him to combine some mm. of what he was learning in <clears> school and those skills with his passion, which had been snowboarding for many, many years. And, um, that's a kind way to put it. Yeah. It's an elaborate excuse to What's the le- avoid getting a real job. Okay. <laughs> I was like, you got so far, so the, good, less, you know? the less kind version. <laughs> Nobody's caught on. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So venture gets started and, and is that right? Your, I guess venture first gets started somewhere around Denver is, Boards are being built under the name Venture, right? Yeah. So it was initially. Um, well, that's know, a whole long story. Yeah, but we had we started initially as a different name that became Vector Snowboards. Okay, and that was what we were doing it under for the first two or three years. Okay, um, and then changed it to Venture in. I'm not sure when that happened, but we, there were trademark issues. So, um, and since we already had a logo that incorporated a V shape, we were looking for another name that started with a V Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know. I think that actually was really kind of fortuitous that we had to change the name because I think venture really is a better name. It's a much better name. Yeah. 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 And it encapsulates kind of what the brand is about. You know, pushing your boundaries and moving beyond venturing out. So, yeah. yeah. So, when does the Silverton part of the story start? Silverton part of the story starts maybe... Well, okay. So, it starts really when we start venture. Okay. Because I was aware of this place getting going just because... It was really back in the early days of just the internet I'm, and those guys were getting going and I just kind of got caught wind of it. And I was just like, this is the coolest fucking thing ever. Mm-hmm. I want to go check this out and man, what a cool place. Yeah. And, but that, you know, we weren't, like, that didn't happen. We didn't come down here until much later, but I knew of Silverton and I yeah. knew of Silverton Mountain being a thing and getting going. Yeah. So we moved to um, Bayfield. Um, outside of Durango, we were there maybe three, four years, something like that. Um, and that was the basement garage operation out of our house, all that kind of stuff. And then we got to a point where we just needed more space and we started looking around at commercial space in Durango, wherever else, and ran into Jenny, who is, uh, you know, one of the founders of Soldier Mountain at a movie premiere. Where, where? You ran into Jenny at a movie premiere in Durango. Yeah. In Durango. Durango. Yeah. Okay. You of know, course. ski yeah. season, sort yeah. of the ski season. I don't know what ski movie we were at, but. Yeah. And I, I feel like we might have known her a little bit at that point. Okay. Um, and, you know, just 
chatting. Hey, yeah, we're looking to move into a different space and whatever. It was, hey, you guys should come to Silverton. I was, of course, immediately like, yeah, let's do that right now. Well, but we need to back up and rewind a little bit here (laughs) because you had your eye on this place long before that invitation happened. And um, I thought you were absolutely insane Mm. for wanting to move here. But, um, you know, we were in Fort Collins. Then we were in Denver. While we were living on the Front Range, we had been coming down to Southwest Colorado to ride. Wolf Creek Mm. was kind of the spot that we would go. We would watch the weather and when it was dumping in Southwest Colorado, we're like, let's go. Mm -hmm. And we would go and we'd sleep in the back of our car and, you know, wake up to fresh powder turns. And um, so I think we knew we wanted to be in this part of the state. And I think the Silverton thing just kind of cemented that for you even more, but we couldn't quite figure out how to do that financially. And at that time I was working a day job, we were getting the business off the ground. And, you know, at at a certain point in time, we realized like, if you looked at the cost of living in Denver, or if you looked at the cost of living down here and what the salaries would be that we would be piss poor in either place. So we might as well just go where we wanted to be. (laughs) So, um, so we made that leap and we, that's when we ended up in Bayfield because we couldn't even afford Durango at that point. Um, and yeah. And at that point, you know, Clem started coming up here to ride regularly. We started plugging into the ski community here and I went from saying you're crazy and I'm, there's no way I'll ever live there to, Hey, that's a charming little town. Um, and fell in love with the mountains here. And, you know, also the the business got to a point where we didn't have to rely on me working another job. Yeah. Then we said, where do we want to be? Yeah. Jenny invited us to consider Silverton, like all of that timing just kind of meshed and, and we made the leap. You've been in this current space that we are currently sitting in and we'll have a picture or two, uh, on the website. Um, in the show notes to this episode, but you've been here seven, eight years in yeah. this particular building. Yeah. Okay. And previously, we were in um, an old building on Green Street. So the the one paved street in town, Main Street, is yep. called Green Street. And um, it was, I don't even know when that building was built, but um, it worked great for our purposes at the time. But, you know, we had to shim some of our machinery you know, six, eight inches on one side and not at all on the other to keep things level and, you know, old historic buildings with, um, floors that were just kind of wonky. And yeah. So what's there today? It used to be next to the laundromat, um, right in the downtown Silverton. So. Okay. Yeah. And then this building got built, you know, at that time. It's a great space. Perfect spot. Yeah. Yeah. Concrete floors, really, you know, great space for production work. So, so the part of the story that I feel like we didn't talk about, and maybe that's because it isn't part of the story. I didn't hear the part where it was like, Hey, let's do this snowboard company. And we're going to, we're looking at the, the, the landscape of snowboarding. And we think there's a real opportunity here. It sounds like you just kind of liked building <laughs> snowboards and just was like, that's enough and went from there. How, how true or false is that? No, that's probably about right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, it's <laughs> well, no, I'd say that's probably 95% accurate. But the other piece of it, too, is at the time, because what Clem was focusing on in school was renewable energy and 
there was that piece of it too. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that. Well, yeah. So that was kind of part of the original, like, oh, why I want to start a you know new different snowboard company was, and at the time, like this wasn't a thing. You know, like now so, everybody's well, green and sustainable and whatever else, but that was really what I cared about at the time. Like if, if, if I had continued in my career path, I would have been working on building energy or solar panels huh. or something like that. But then I was, I got into the whole making snowboards thing and I was like, wow, well, can we do this in a more, you know, sustainable, I don't want to use the word sustainable, like more whatever. Climate. It's a harmful way because I feel like there's just so much greenwashing going on these yeah. days that I just. But that's something we should. That that's stuff. something we should talk about. Clem just got incredibly cynical and a little <laughs> sad. I think talking about this, so we're we're uh, <laughs> deep dive. Yeah. So there was this thing which yes we hear so much about from basically every company now today. But your thought um, back in the early days here were. Can we do this? Can we build in a more sustainable way? Yeah. That that was kind of the original idea. Can we do this better? So I looked at it and tried, you know, the, the, the initial obvious thing was just the core is the biggest part of the board. You know, okay, can we get wood that's more sustainable? And we went for this, uh, what was it? A certification yeah. for, you know, being what was it? Forest Stewardship Council certified wood. We genuinely cared about it and we wanted to try to make it uh, in a more environment sustainable way. Um, and so we pursued just the core initially and, but it, it just became this, it, it, in, in the end, it just seemed like more of a marketing thing. Huh. And we, we try to do as much as we can with that stuff, but I really don't like to talk about it because it's just, well, I think There's, you're you're concerned about overstating your case. And, yeah. you know, we know that a snowboard is not an inherently environmentally friendly product, right? We're using all kinds of different materials that go into this composite. Um, there's plastics, there's wood, there's epoxy, there's fiberglass. You know, all of those things have some kind of an environmental toll. Um, I think the question is just <laughs> how can you approach things in a way that you are building a lean product. So your production process is lean and you have less waste. You are trying to source materials that are less impactful. For example, the top sheets we use are a castor bean plastic rather than a petroleum-based plastic. Clem mentioned the, the sustainably grown and harvested wood. So the things that we can do, we are trying to do, but we also don't want to put a piece of junk out there on the market. Yeah. And we have tried using some materials that are quote unquote green and they did not hold up to our durability standards. So when you look at that, you're not doing yourself any favors there environmentally either, because if it breaks after a few yeah. uses and ends up mm. at the dump, that's not sustainable either. So I think durability for us is also part of our sustainable story. Exactly. I'm going to use the word that Clem hates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and a lot of really... people, a lot of people are using that and spinning that for marketing purposes that I think it's overblown, you know, yeah. but to use the word sustainable about a snowboard is just uh, frankly fucking insane. Hmm. It, it's kind of like hippie penance or whatever you want to call it. It's yeah. just like, yeah, I'm not cool with it. To, to use the word sustainable about snowboarding is just, it's, it's not right. 
This is so interesting. I, and I appreciate, like, because the minute I walked in and we started talking, it is, ladies and gentlemen, it has been sort of exactly this. You backing up off of, I mean, we've, and we've talked about, and we're going to talk about here, I mean, how you guys are literally doing everything here in-house, you know, in this place. And, and we look at the fact that, you know, well, there's all kinds of uh, distribution processes and the rest of materials and outsourcing, et cetera, where all of these things matter. And yet I'm with you in the fact, in the sense that I think it's, it's worse than bad if those of us who like playing in the mountains are simply giving ourselves stories that make us sleep better at night, then that's real, real bad. And and I appreciate you being like how you can barely say the word sustainable, right? Yeah. Um, and frankly, I do feel like in terms of the marketing I've seen on this both you know, like the snowboard industry versus the ski industry, I do think this is actually heavier on the snowboard side. So I, I think frankly, like there is less of a kind of culture for better or for worse on the ski side of things where there's this like, Oh, we got to have that like green story, this environmental, whatever. I think that's stronger from what I've seen on the snowboard side. And I see you, vehemently wanting to not get caught up in, uh, well, greenwashing. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I don't. <laughs> it's just very clear. Um, let's talk more about this particular space that we are currently sitting in again, you know, a few feet away from the, from your snowboard press. Um, what all gets built in this particular space that we are currently occupying? Snowboards, um, from scratch. From scratch. I think that's, that's really the thing that probably sets us apart really from just about everybody else is that we actually do everything from scratch. We make our own cores, which is a huge amount of the work that goes into it, bend the edges, cut bases. Everything happens in this building. There's nothing outsourced. And say more about this just in case there are some people who are like, well, wait, what are you talking about? Right? Like there's a bunch of snowboard companies out there. I thought everybody was just building their own stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, I don't want to bash the competition too much, but, um, there are a lot of companies that are, it goes from companies that are just marketing companies that are just having their stuff made and, some factory in some foreign company country that you probably don't even want to know about um, to various components that are outsourced and made in other places um, to what we're doing, which is making snowboards from scratch. Yeah. So for example, like if we wanted to look at the core um, that starts out for us literally as a pile of raw lumber in the parking lot. And it takes probably roughly half the entire time of building a snowboard is put into just making those cores. Mm -hmm. um, for other manufacturers, they're most likely buying their cores or at least blanks from a woodworking company that's doing that for them. So, you know, for us, when we talk about taking it start to finish, we really do mean everything from scratch. And I think it just means a higher quality product because we can pay attention to all those little details every step of the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for those who, 
we seem to be in a period or a culture, kind of a craft culture. And so I do think that for a lot of people hearing like, oh, okay, so I guess if it says venture on it, it started as literally a piece of raw lumber that, you know, was dropped off where we're sitting and you guys take it from there and literally do every part of the building from there. Okay. Yeah, that's it. And it doesn't sound like there's too many snowboard companies that are doing that from that, that degree of kind of you know, start to finish. Well, and I would say also there's not that much of that happening actually in the mountains. You know, we are very place-based. We are building these toys to use. Like you can look right out that window and see the mountains that we're going to go test it in, you know, yeah. the, the places that we're going to ride them. And we employ other snowboarders because they understand the product in a way that somebody who doesn't snowboard just would, you know, simply would not. So, um, you know, I think that that's, it's pretty unique. And I guess it also goes to like, what is your definition of what's a snowboard company? Because most of what you think of as a snowboard company is a marketing company. You know, there, there is no factory for a lot of the big boys. They're just moving around from one factory in Asia in one year to Dubai the next year or wherever the hell they're getting their stuff made. But it's all just marketing and team riders. Like it's not. If you call that a snowboard company, fine. But I mean, if you're not making snowboards, how are you a snowboard company? It's like being a bakery and not having an oven. Silverton, this tiny little town with some 600 crazy people living here. 600 <laughs> crazy people, tiny little town, some really big mountains. Um, you've talked a bit about a few of the advantages of building here and being locating, located here. Um, Say a little bit more about either the advantages of being here or some of the challenges of being here in the middle of nowhere. I'm going to say it's mostly advantages. I mean, okay. people always think that it's like, oh, man, it must be so tough to be in the map. But I mean, we get FedEx pickups here every day. You know, it's, it's the modern world. We have now fiber optic internet. You know, anyone out there listening, come move to Silverton. It's an awesome place to have a business. Um, I don't know. Disadvantages is, yeah, it's a small town, you know, so you have to appreciate your surroundings and you don't have big city amenities and you don't have, you know, big fancy restaurants and there's no McDonald's. Sorry, but that's okay with us, you know? Yeah. And, you know, as far as where we are, we are really isolated. I mean, there's mountain passes on either side. Um, and that's, I think people have a misconception about that as well, that it's really hard to get in and out of here in the winter. And yes, there are those occasions we get snowed in. Um, we love that unless, you know, uh, on occasion it's been a challenge. We've had to get out of here for a trade show and could see a storm coming and had to leave early in order to miss past closures. But, um, you know, I think overall on the whole it there, I don't see too many disadvantages to being located here. Mm -hmm. It's. Um, unless I, you're a metropolitan right. city kind of person, then yeah. no, this is not for you, but you have to like snow. <laughs> you have to like mud. Cause we definitely get our share of that with no paved streets except for one. Um, and on occasion, the small town politics can flare up, but in general, um, I don't know. I think it's a pretty great place to be and you know, not for yeah. everybody though. 
let's talk more about building boards. Um, what do you think the biggest difference is between the way you are building boards now versus when you were first kind of getting started? Hmm. Um, I think we've just, in general, refined the process. You know, like, there's so many steps to it, and we've gotten better at all of those different steps. We've made a lot of mistakes along the way, and we've every time we make a mistake, it's, okay, well, we're not going to do it that way again and learn from it along the way. Um, so what we're doing now is, I mean, it's, I would still ride one of the snowboards that we made back in the day. Well, not with wouldn't camber, ride the you camber wouldn't. board. But. Well, sit, stop. Wait, let's talk about that. Why did you, were you over using too much traditional camber underfoot or for, I mean, if you like falling, camber is awesome. If you like falling, <laughs> I mean, I've seen the Silverton logo. I thought this place was all about. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, well, okay. We might as well talk about that. Um, and, and maybe we should go kind of way back, really, because I mean, why do we? Ha why did we have camber in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. We had camber because of skis. Goddamn skis! Oh yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, the first my first snowboard did not have camber; it was flat. Um, and why did skis have camber? Well, skis had camber because they didn't have side cut. Early skis were straight. And when you put them up on an edge, you couldn't get any pressure on the tip and tail. So what's one way to solve that problem? Well, it's to bend the thing so there's more pressure at the tip and tail. Well, that problem solved. Mm -hmm. And those are the first skis that I ever, and I did ski back in the day before snowboarding. Um, and, and I remember the ski lessons back then. It was all about like jumping up yeah. and down because you had to jump out of up that camper. Yeah. Um, so those were early skis. They had, you know, they were straight and had camber to them so that the edges would bite in. And then, and I'm just going to go ahead and beat up on skiing here. Good. Um, Stupid skiers. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> um, you know, because where, so then snowboarding came along and snowboards had side cut. And I, I'm not sure who I should credit with putting more side cut or whatever on snowboards, but someone should get credit for that. But that is where skis got side cut from is snowboards. It's probably, I'm going to say Mervin, Mike Olson. Um, but anyway, so then skiing discovered side cut, which is a different way to solve the same problem of, Oh, when I put it up on an edge, I want the edge, the whole edge to bite in. Then why do we still have camber? And for the longest time, we had camber just for historical reasons. And it just went on. And then at some point, someone decided to just bend the board the other way. Oh, probably same guy, huh? Um, and that was also maybe not the best idea, overdoing it. Um, uh, we talking about over-rockering yeah, boards? Full, Basically what, like, like a banana What, shape, what right? some people call reverse camber, right? So... Um, so then, then we kind of essentially overshot the target. We overcorrected, right? So we had, we got rid of camber altogether and we, we went in the other direction, still having the side cut. Um, 
now we got rid of the catchiness of the original camber snowboard. Um, and maybe I should pause there and go back to why camber makes you fall. Cause that's, that's where we snowboard, started. right? That's <laughs> where we started, which is the real problem for me with camber and why I will never, ever personally ride a camber snowboard again. Um, I'm not going to say like people really want us to make it. I'll maybe do it someday, but, um, anyone that learned to ride initially on a just old school camber snowboard, the first thing that you learn, unless you like hitting your head on the snow is never put any pressure on the downhill edge of your board, put pressure on the downhill edge of your board and it's going to catch and you're making a turn that doesn't exist and you are going down and you're getting spanked. So initially learning how to snowboard was just like this. And that's why I, I talked to anyone that learned to snowboard 20 or 30 years ago. And they were like, Oh man, I'm just so sore. I got beat up because what they did all day was catch their downhill edge and just boom, boom. Like what? And it's, it's the worst if it's you're, you're on a heel side turn because then you're falling on your head. I'm never going to snowboard again terrible but then you learn if you learn to snowboard on one of those boards never do that and you just internalize that when you're snowboarding um and so for me that i have this experience every year since we stopped making camber snowboards is that i get into a situation where i'm like oh shit i'm gonna fall and i'm not falling i'm still riding because my downhill edge didn't catch like my old school camber snowboard did and I mean, that's so much more fun. Um, so going back to why I, like you don't really actually need it. It's like it was solving the problem of not having side cut. Once you have side cut, if you can just adjust your flex to get your edge pressure even, you don't need it. There's no reason for it whatsoever. So from a ski point of view, I mean, you know, goddamn skiers and all, but... <clears throat> Go ahead. <laughs> what about getting if we're if you're looking to build a board and want like let's make a really poppy quote unquote fun board right not this stable big mountain charger with a huge top end but let's get something you know that's gonna like uh, be more conducive with a really poppy playful style uh, of riding. Sure, we still don't need. I'm going to argue no, and some people are going to disagree with me, and that's okay. Um, but when you say pop, you're talking about like you lean back on your tail. How much does that spring back on you, right? Yeah. Well, it's going to spring back on you for two reasons. Because it's pre-bent because of the camber or how stiff it is. So you can correct for all these things in the flex pattern. Mm-hmm. You make the tail a little bit stiffer, voila, you have that same pop. It, it's a matter of like you're loading the spring, but you're you're either loading it because it was already slightly bent, or it's because of how stiff that spring is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. It's a preloaded spring versus just how much stiffness is there in that spring. So you can just put more stiffness in it, and then you don't have to have that, and then you don't have to have the catchiness. Mm-hmm. And the idea of putting camber between your feet, I do not understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so is this to say then, cause this would be news to me, no venture snowboards these days, every single board you're making is flat underfoot. And then we're, we'll have some boards, I presume that have 
like nose rocker on it and some will have like tip and tail rocker on it. But there is no, literally zero camber. Every board you're making is flat underfoot. That's the goal. <laughs> That's the goal. Truth okay. be told, they all have a hair of camber. Um, and the reason for that is I don't want to go the other direction. Mm-hmm. If you have, yep. because then you're back in yep. the over. Yep. And then it's just squirrely and you just can't get it to catch an edge or to hold an edge well. Yeah. Is, yeah. So flat underfoot and then varying degrees, like you're saying, of lift on the nose and tail. And what we're finding, I mean, obviously, if we're riding that in big terrain, which we are around here, um, you know, if it wasn't performing in those conditions, we wouldn't keep doing it. Um, but it's working in those conditions. And uh, at the same time, it's also more playful and surfier. And it just like Clem is saying, you don't get spanked quite as often. So yeah. I think it's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. What you're trying to achieve is like you want the board to hold an edge when you're on an edge. And yeah. you can certainly do that without camber. Yeah. Um, and then the question of how much pop do you have in your tail, you can adjust for that with stiffness. Mm. Problem solved. And in a way simpler way. Yeah. Um, and not to beat up on the competition too much, but going back to, you know, when when the overcorrection happened, when we went kind of with, with the whole reverse camber thing, um full rock or whatever you want to call it. Like that was kind of where it all this started to go in that direction. And I think people quickly realized that that was too much. And then the correction then became, Oh, well I'm going to put now camber back out at the nose and tail and still have it be bent in the middle. To me, that just seems like you're turning on the heat and the air conditioning at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like the simpler solution to that problem <clears throat> is just get rid of it altogether. Yeah. And the simplest solution to any problem is usually the best. We are going to pause at this moment, except not really, but uh, because one, two, three. Cheers. Cheers. <clears throat> Clem, what are we drinking here, by the way? We should talk about this for a minute. Yeah, we were drinking Euphoria Pale Ale from uh, Ska Brewing in Durango, the most delicious nectar known to mankind. And this is actually a little collab thing, right? Because it says on this can, Ska's Winter Offering a Venture slash Ska Venture. Yeah. So, so this is, you've made it big. You're on a beer can. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Definitely got that going yeah, for us. Yeah. So it's named after the Euphoria, our powder board, and the awesome boys that Scott have been doing this for God, close to 10 years now. It's, yeah. They, we've just had a super good relationship with them since we've come to this part of the state. And, you know, we make boards for them with different beer graphics every year. And they named their winter beer after our powder board. Yeah. They yeah. make um, lots of different delicious beer. Well, this one's my favorite. <laughs> well, okay. Go figure. Not biased at all. Um, well, while Clem and I just drink more, I think this is what I want to do is because Lisa seems real good at this. Talk, give me the like, I actually want, which is something we normally don't do, but I want like the two minute ish kind of marketing spiel. If, if someone just really wants to know, okay, they now know, okay, whatever you guys are building snowboards in Silverton starting with raw lumber. Uh, 
But talk about the character, the kind of bullet points, or if we're going to generalize about venture snowboards, what are the kinds of things you would say are kind of defining qualities of venture boards? Yeah, well, um, starting with what we just left off on, the the euphoria from Scott Brewing and talking about um, craft beer, craft snowboards. Like the reason that partnership works is because I think we both value the same kind of thing. So if I were to give you like in a, you know, short bullet point list of what, what are, what is venture about? We are about super fine handcrafted boards, like premium quality, premium durability. Um, we take pride in doing it all from scratch by ourselves. Um, and, and I think the reason for that is that you can pay attention to the details the whole way. Um, and so while I think we are best known for being a big mountain and free ride company, and that's kind of where we, um, established our, our reputation, especially with the slipboards. I do think that more than that, what we're about is durability and performance in any type of terrain or conditions. And we do have a model that can, you know, be ridden on East coast ice just as well as big mountain terrain. So um, you know, trying to really, um, put a quality product out there and something that we can be proud of and that, you know, the best performing tools of the trade, like I'm going to ride it. I want it to be of the, the premium quality. What current trends in board design are you guys seeing that you like and maybe what trends do you sort of dislike? That's an interesting question. I mean, as far as what I like, I think I'm liking seeing a lot of um, kind of innovative shapes. What I don't like about that is I think that there's also some harebrained ideas out there as far as innovation. Um, I think I see people incorporating a lot of things that are just bells and whistles. And it's, you know, it's again for the marketing hype and not really for something that's going to stand the test of time performance wise. Um, but Lots of interesting powder shapes out there these days. And I think that that's really appealing to us because who doesn't like to ride pow? Yeah. The, the shape thing, is, uh, to me, it's just gotten way out of hand. Um, and, I mean, we were guilty of it because we did some crazy things in the past, you know, like a surfboard shape with reverse side cut that, you know, it's not realistic for except for maybe – 10 people who only ride waist deep pal forever. And that's not a snowboard that most people are going to ride, but the whole shape thing, it, it's cool to see people trying all kinds of new different shapes. It's always good to see variety people trying new stuff, but, um, and it's, I mean, some of it's just fun, you know, it's, I mean, you can ride anything in pal. So mm -hmm. great. Ha have fun with it. But, um, yeah, I think what I don't like, I'll just be frank about that. It, it seems like nose shapes and tail shapes these days, it's all about like making them super angular. And I'm pretty sure that like in five years, people are going to look back and like see those snowboards if they're still actually riding out there and be like, man, that was so 2017. Mm. Cause it's just like, it's just cosmetic, you know, like it doesn't do a damn thing mm. and it's a, in the ass from a manufacturing standpoint. So mm. why are you doing this? It's just to look different mm. because the whole thing has just gotten so like, how, how, how crazy can we get with this shape stuff? Yeah. 
Um, given how much you guys have talked about durability, both in this conversation and prior to it, I'm going to go out on a limb and imagine like if I start putting scales on venture snowboards and a bunch of other uh, snowboards from other companies, I'm doubting you guys are probably building the lightest snowboards on the market. You'd be correct about that. Yeah. I'm guessing you also don't care. You'd be correct about that (laughs) as well. Okay. Um, There's no free lunch with this stuff. If you want the lightest snowboard in the world, it is going to break as soon as you encounter any other hard object. Mm -hmm. And the stuff that we ride, I mean, I I don't know when I ride and don't hit a rock in some way. Like Mm -hmm. it's even on a bottomless pow day, then I'm going to push it a little harder and I'm still going to tag a rock somewhere. Um, So I I, I need my board to hold up to at least just tapping a rock somewhere. Um, So... If, so that that's not going to work for me. Like the world's lightest snowboard, <clears throat> no. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, I don't want the world's heaviest yeah. snowboard tank. Yeah. Um, and if you weighed one of our boards from 20 years ago versus what we're building now, you would definitely find that our boards are now lighter. Mm-hmm. That's something that we have been working on, but we're not willing to give up the durability just for the sake of lightness. Yeah. Um, and you were mentioning too the your the wood cores you guys use. You're only at least currently, and maybe for a while, you're only building with two types of wood. Is that is that right? Correct. Poplar and ash. Yeah. Um, we use some aspen to do different things to lighten them up as well. It didn't work super well. Um, it was really cool to get locally sourced wood. Um, but performance wise, it was not super good. So we're, we're kind of going to stick with those two, I think for now, mm-hmm. um, they're just the tried and true workhorses of snowboard cores. Yeah. And you'll see that as well. If you look at our, um, different colleagues that the ones I respect anyway, most of them are, are using the same kind of stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how <clears throat> the fact, I think we can call it a fact that split boarding has gotten way bigger, right? In the last, I don't know where to put the marker. Certainly, I would say within the last five years, if not even more recent than that. What does that landscape look like given who you guys are and the boards you guys are building? Um, Talk to me about this growing trend of it's backcountry skiing and riding, right? Oh, it's, it's been great. And I know we got on the split board program a long time ago. We've been doing it since, well, before it was like a cool thing, mm-hmm. really. Um, when we started doing split boards, there were like three or four companies doing it. Um, and a lot of them at the time really didn't fit very well together. The inside edges just didn't really match and it was all really sloppy and it just kind of felt like a shop project that was just nailing two skis together. So we spent a lot of time figuring out how to get that to work better. And I think that's probably one of the things we're known for the most really is just making a really tight fitting split board. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen split boarding definitely increase in that time. And we've seen it be a very, uh, I don't know, something that's gotten a lot of attention. Um, 
And I think this kind of been a little bit overblown in terms of like how big it is mm. and what the real potential and how big this market is ever going to be. Um, and we've seen a lot of companies jump into it. The big corporate boys, all of a sudden it was like, everybody has to have a split board and you go to the show these days, everybody does, mm -hmm. but most of them don't really care. It's just like this other thing that they yeah. have to do as part of their portfolio or whatever. Um, but it's super, I mean, I love it. And the people that are into it are awesome. And it's a, it's a cool part of snowboarding, mm -hmm. but it's, it's always going to be, I think, just a small part of it. Let's talk about <clears throat> the 2018-2019 venture lineup. Um, how similar or different is it from this current season that's wrapping up here in North America? What's new? What's different? What should people know? Yeah, given that Clem hates all any shape that's different than just strictly <laughs> conventional. And, uh, you know, I, I assume the answer is nothing has changed in 15 years, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's see how close that is. Well, I would say, um, a lot has changed actually over the last 15 years, but from, uh, last season to, or this current season to next winter, there isn't a whole lot. I think of major changes mm -hmm. because, in part, it's like, well, if it ain't broke, yeah. you know, why try to fix it? Um, we have been tinkering with the flex pattern on the boards for years now. Clem mentioned earlier that we've been trying to lighten them up little by little. And so there have been some modifications made, um, especially maybe in the last three to five years that I think have really um, improved the performance of the boards pretty dramatically. So for next season, um, I don't think we're tinkering much with them at all. Well, okay. So yeah. how about I, I play the marketing guy. Go for um, it. We are introducing the material that I've kind of long resisted, um, carbon fiber. Huh. Um, just because the whole lightness thing, like you brought up, has never just been, it's like, I don't want to give up the durability, right? So, um, but you can replace the glass with carbon and that's going to shape some weight. And so that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to be your super light, yeah. going to break on day two carbon fiber board. Mm -hmm. It's going to be just as durable as everything else we've been doing it, but it's going to be lighter. Which just, boards? Uh, yeah. So on the split paragons, yeah. we're going to do it on just one model and just on the splits. Mm -hmm. Because it just makes sense to just start with the splits yeah. because that's that's the thing you're dragging uphill. That's yeah. when rate, weight counts way more. Yeah. Um, I like that. I mean, frankly, we spend a lot of time on the site, like talking about, I mean, this is a whole problem I have with like the review industry and like kind of pay to play advertising. It's like a company, I, I talk to the companies and they're like, well, we have to tweak the model or no one will talk about it anymore. It's very true. And then they pay advertising dollars to the review publications to be like, this is amazing. And we're just like, if you've actually dialed the product, congrats. And now you should get to be rewarded by leaving it alone. You know? And, and so I, I, you know, and so many companies are on this, like we change it every two years, like regardless. And I don't know. I, I actually, I much prefer this idea of like, we've spent 20 years 
working through design. And these are the shapes that we believe in. And at these, with these woods and at this kind of weight range, this is where we feel like we're getting the durability that we want. And I'm just like, holy hell, like, why can't we live in that world? You know, like, so, uh, seeing all the tweaks all the time. And it's funny at like trade shows, I find myself talking with product managers and I'm like, please don't change that. It's good. Like, just please leave it alone. So anyway, there's one vote for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Good luck with that. I mean, that's, that's what makes people buy new snowboards every year. It's like, Oh, now it's your old snowboard is obsolete. Yeah. Um, there's yeah. nothing I love more than running into someone on one of our boards from eight years ago. Who's still like, man, I love this thing. This mm -hmm. is great. Yeah. They hold up. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that might be to our detriment because yeah. we, yeah. we don't get to <laughs> yeah, sell a new board as frequently. But, you know, again, I, I think that if it's worth doing, you should do it right. So, yeah. And, and for us, the bonus is those guys are going to come back and get another one from us. Hmm. They're not going to, maybe not going to come back next year, not, yeah. maybe not in five years. But 37 but, years from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a totally sustainable business. <laughs> um, What's the best question I haven't asked you? Why should anyone give a shit if their snowboard is made in Silverton? Why does that matter? Why does that matter? Because where are the other snowboards made? I mean, did you know snowboards were made in Dubai? I did not, actually. You should Google what snowboards are made in Dubai. It would, it would shock you. Some companies we've heard of. Companies you've heard of. And you should then Google what Dubai is like. Hmm. What, I mean, just go to Amnesty International or, you know, Human Rights Watch and look at what working conditions are like in Dubai. Look at what environmental conditions are like in Dubai. It's just cheap labor. Not cool. I think I'll maybe just leave it at that. Do your research, but it's sad. It, it's not right. Hmm. Lisa? Well, I would just add to that that, you know, I think that products made in this country by people who utilize them that actually understand what it's, what a snowboard is made for. Um, you know, they're just going to pay closer attention to detail. We're paying a living wage. We're treating our employees well. Um, buy snowboarders for snowboarders. You know, you're supporting your fellow snowboarder by buying a venture. You're also getting a much better quality product. So, um, you know, aside from the, you know, when you talk about boards that may be made in other countries, um, the plus side of buying a snowboard here is, is all of that, that you're, you're supporting domestic manufacturing and, um, snowboarders like you. And I'll Maybe we should tie this back into the whole um, environmental sustainability question because uh, the companies that are making their boards in Dubai are wrapping themselves in a lot of sustainability-ish language. Um, and that's the part that frankly pisses me off that it's like, what about your fellow human beings? Like, oh yeah, yours is made with this like whatever hippy-dippy material. But you're just taking advantage of people in third world countries that are, I mean, they're importing people from other countries, taking away their passports. I mean, 
Look it up yourself. It's not fucking pretty. You should care about this and you should care about that more than, oh, my snowboard is like. Well, and I think that I do think that we are in a time where there are more people that are more interested to such questions. Right. And, you know, none of this stuff is inexpensive. Right. And so I think before, you know, people are staying up all hours of the night researching, you know, what's the best split board I should be getting or best mountain bike, whatever. And I think that hopefully that those of us in the outdoor sports community um, are being a, a bit more sensitive and getting a bit more attuned to some of these uh, issues of where things are actually made. And, um, you know, I, I do think that there can be a bit of kind of um, xenophobia or something about manufacturing outside of the U S and like, I'm not interested in that whatsoever, but that's not at all what you're talking about. Right. Correct. And right. thank you for pointing that. Cause that is not the point at yeah. all. Yeah. My point is if you care about, you know, the planet, like, okay, that's great. How about you start by caring about your fellow human beings yep. who are living on this planet and what kind of working conditions <clears throat> that they are living under? I'm not picking on Dubai because it's not in the, the Middle US. East. Yeah, yeah. I mean, please don't get me started on Agent Orange. I mean, you know, like we're going to now have to pay more for our steel because of his tariffs, you know, and we are the ones that are making stuff in the US. Yeah. So this is definitely not about beating up on. It's, it's, it's human, you know, human rights stuff. And then like working conditions, yeah. that's what I give a shit about. Yeah. I think we leave it there. Um, I love ending on a good rant. <laughs> it's, it's if you favorite. want a good rant, just get me two beers and I'm good to go. Sweet. Uh, maybe we should start recording now, actually. <laughs> now, that, now that you and I are warmed up. Um, well, hey, uh, Lisa and Clem, this has been really fun. I appreciate the time and uh, I appreciate being here with you guys in this space. And uh, I'm glad we could do this. And, and thank you for showing me around and uh, uh, entertaining a few questions here. Yeah. So um, thank you. Thanks for making the trip to Silverton. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for coming down. We'll yeah. see you on the mountain tomorrow. For sure. That's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. Thanks to Clem and Lisa for the conversation. And be sure to go to VentureSnowboards.com to check out all of their really beautiful boards. Thanks also to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the Blister Podcast in iTunes slash Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite Android player so you're immediately notified each time a new episode drops. Thanks to all of you, and we will talk to you again next week.